Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Um, so this morning, our room is set up like it typically is. Uh, this is when we come to church here. This is typically the way things are set, uh, unless we have an event, right? And so we're scurrying around, and we're, we're getting the chairs set in different ways and in different configurations. And, um, and a couple of years ago, this room got set um, three times a year, four times a year, I think, uh, for a bunch of pastors and their wives. So we'd clear this out, and uh, we'd have round tables all around, and there were maybe uh, 40, 50 pastors and their wives um, from our network, Acts 29, that would come here for a soul care institute. And it was so refreshing. It was, it was three years with um, some sage mentors who would come in and basically tell a bunch of pastors, you're doing a good job. <laughs> and, and those pastors in that cohort needed to hear that they were doing a good job in the midst of the hard work they were doing, church planting, telling hard ground, and helping to, to lead new churches. And Dean and I were um, privileged to host that at the direction of our elders and pastors. And so our church hosted this thing for three years. And I think the highlight of the time in soul care for all of the pastors and their wives that were here, and I would say Dina and I included, was a session that Rich and Jim did on, on limits and losses. And the reality that as leaders, we have to deal with our losses. And in leadership, you lose a lot of things. You lose a lot of friends. You lose a lot of people, whether they go because they moved to Tennessee or Texas or Idaho gosh darn it, you know, or they, or, they just, or, or they just move out of the church for another reason, or some of them go for reasons that, um, that you just don't like, You're, there's going to be a lot of loss. And so recognizing that and understanding how to deal with it is, is a necessity. But there's also a lot of limitations to us as people who are finite people that live in the midst of a world that says there are no limits. And, and listen, leaders want to hear there are no limits. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing that you can't accomplish. There's nothing that your church can't become. And then all of these leaders find themselves in this room around tables feeling the weight of the limits of their lives. And Rich and Jim reminded us that is a good thing. It's a helpful thing to recognize we have losses and we need to deal with them and we have limitations and we need to know how to recognize them and to live our lives in light of them. And this morning I just want to acknowledge recognizing our limits and living within them is not just a leader thing, that's a human thing. And it is a good thing. It's a good thing, especially in the midst of a culture that tells us that we can do anything, that there are no limits. Now listen, <laughs> I am never going to be a center in the NBA. What are you laughing at? You don't know. I'm never going to be a center in the NBA, right? And obviously, I'm never going to be the spokesperson for Hair Club for Men, right? That ship has sailed, right? It's not, it's not going to happen. All kidding aside, I'm probably also never going to reach as many people with the gospel as one of my mentors, Billy Graham, or one of my heroes, Billy Graham. He wasn't a mentor, but he was a mentor from afar in a way. But growing up as a kid, I, I watched him on the TV screen when I was little. It's some of my first memories of preaching. But I'm likely never going to reach as many people with the gospel as Billy. I'm going to have some limitations. And I need to learn to live within them. And that's, that, that quarterly soul care cohort was such a good reminder. It was a regular reminder for me four times a year that, that I'm going to have losses and I need to know how to go to Jesus with those, that I do have limits and I need to recognize that and I need to learn to live within the limits that God has ordained for me. 
And maybe you need those reminders too. And the reality is that life gives us all kinds of reminders. I mean, life hits us in the face every day in all kinds of ways, reminding us that we are limited, finite people. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes points out four of those things this morning in this passage, I believe. And I think the first one we can find in verses 2 to 4. Would you look at him with me? He says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? The first very obvious reminder that we have this morning is that political power reminds us that there are limits to our lives. Political power reminds us that there are limits to our lives. This passage, in this passage, he uses the word power or a word that's referenced to power four times in the passage as a whole, which actually tells us something. It tells us that there are forms of power that remind us that we are limited people. We are limited, finite people. And there's perhaps no greater reminder of our limitations No greater power reminder of our limitations than political power. For every human being on the face of the planet, they live under governments and political structures. The greatest power that governs the limitations of human beings is the system of government under which they live and the people that run those governments. Like this is talking about the king, which for all practical purposes was was a dictatorship, right? And in a dictatorship, the people that live under that dictator, they have very, very, very little freedom and very, very, very many limitations on their lives. And you could go down the list from you know, dictatorship to communism to socialism to capitalism, and we can find better ways of government. And by God's grace, we live under one that's not a perfect form, but certainly a better one. And in some governments... There is so much freedom, and in some governments, there is so little. And under any government, we only have so much freedom. There are limitations that are placed on us by our governments, and even in a governmental system that we live under, which, by the way, I'd rather live under than most or any government system in the world, still has its limitations. It doesn't matter what news channel you watch, because I scrolled through a bunch of them this week to prove to you that I do. You don't know which channel I'm watching. You might guess which one I watch more often than the other, but you don't know. But I can tell you that I guess the government's trying to ban gas stoves. You know that? Yeah. And you know what? It's fine with me because we, we have an electric stove. Because <laughs> we live in a house that was built in the 70s, so we have an electric stove. But you know what we also have? We have three gas fireplaces. You heard me right. Our house has three fireplaces, and they're all natural gas And guess what? We burn real wood in them. And if you have a problem with that, what you should do is you should come by my street some evening and walk outside and realize that my entire block smells like freshly cut oak. It's wonderful. So I will burn the gas, right? We have limitations. They do also tell us what water pressure we can have and what light bulbs we can put in and how much water can be in the toilet, right? And it it just gets ticky-tack on small little levels, but then there are larger things like what we put in our body or not. Or there are larger things like travel passports, like where you can go and where you can't go. 
kind of got serious quick, didn't it? Because the reality is, even under the system of government that we live under, we have limitations. And our government limits our lives. I want to say this is not the God-ordained reason for government. I don't mean to to bash government in any way. This is not the God-ordained reason for government. The God-ordained reason for government is to help create order so there's not anarchy and so that people can flourish. That's what God created government for. But the reality is in a broken and sinful world, most governments lavish themselves while they limit their people. That's just what the reality is. So what should we do with all that? under political limitations? Well, the teacher tells us, because he probably knows that we're going, well, then what do we do? Look at verse five. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. I think there's two things. (laughs) I think we obey the law, and we use wisdom, and we look for ways to preserve the things that we value in our lives. That's what we do. That's what the teacher says, Under the sun, living under human governments, that's what you do. And so even though political power reminds us that there are limits on our lives, God gives us a way. He provides a way. He's faithful to provide a way to navigate that even under the heaviest hands of political power. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. If you know the New Testament, you know that that Jesus had to encounter the same things that Jesus had to encounter the same things that you and I do in this regard. And you might be thinking about Matthew chapter 22 where, where the Pharisees come, right? And they, they come to, to Jesus to try to entrap him. It says, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with his words. And they sent their disciples along with them and also the Herodians. So different governing officials from different spheres of political and religious government which were intertwined in that day come to Jesus and they want to entangle him saying, teacher, we know that you are a true teacher, the way, to, the way to God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. Don't you love how they're buttering him up like with all these platitudes like they typically do in this scenario? You don't care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances, Jesus. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax, and they brought him to Darius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is it? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God's the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him. <laughs> and they went away. Jesus lived with a kind of wisdom that made people marvel. I think an important question for us this morning, whatever side of the aisle you might sit on, is is this how people perceive Christians in the political arena and discourse today? Do they marvel at our wisdom when we answer the questions that are brought up when political powers place limits on our lives? This is the kind of wisdom that Jesus lived with, and it's the kind of wisdom that he told us he wanted us to live with. Back in chapter 10 of Matthew, he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The only defense a sheep has in the midst of a bunch of wolves is their hooves. No. Their teeth. No. Their strapping muscular build. <laughs> no. It's their wisdom. That's it. Be wise 
as serpents and innocent as doves. Obey the law and use wisdom to preserve the kind of things that you value in your life. Listen, political power, whatever it will be, and whatever party is in power or will be in power next, will place limits on our lives. And what the teacher is saying is the best we can do is use wisdom. And you know what the good news is? Is we have the wisdom of Jesus. When Paul was talking about this to the Corinthian church, a church that was living under a Roman government that was oppressive, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. People who are just living their lives under the sun, as the teacher says so many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, they're just living a natural life under the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N. They're just living life under the sun. The natural person can't discern these things, but the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning and the Spirit of God indwells you, you have the mind of Christ. The best that we can use is wisdom. The best we can do is to use wisdom, and the good news is you have it. You have the mind of Christ. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask you four times just to repeat that with me out loud because I want us to believe it. I want you to believe it, that you have the mind of Christ. Can you say that with me? We have the mind of Christ. We do. We have the mind of Christ. There's something else about our lives the teacher says reminds us that we have limits on our lives, and I think I find it in verse 6. Look at that with me. For there's a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? And here I think we see that our finite nature reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Our finite nature. So we, we, just, we just realize that we are finite people, and that reminds us that there are limits on our lives. I mean, the limit the teacher is getting at is that no one can predict the future. You know, most Christians that I know have a lot of clarity about the distant future. They have a lot of clarity about their long-term future, and that brings them a lot of comfort. And listen, if you are a Christian this morning, you should have that kind of clarity, and you should have that kind of comfort, because your long-term future is really good. But most of those same Christians I know that have a lot of clarity about their long-term future, and it gives them a lot of comfort, they also have a lot of anxiety about their near-term future. And it places a lot of weight on them. Can you feel that this morning? If you're like most Christians in America, you have a lot of clarity about your long-term future, and it brings you a lot of long-term comfort, but you have a lot of anxiety about your near-term future, and it places a weight on you, which he says, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him, this is the heavy weight. And that's because the truth is you and I don't know how it's going to shake out. And the teacher tells us that all the way back in chapter 3. You and I don't know if in the near-term future the people that we love will be born or if more will die. We don't know if it's a time to pluck or a time to plant. We don't know if it's a time to break down or a time to build up or a time to sow or a time to tear. We don't know if it's a time to weep or a time to laugh. We don't know if it's time to mourn or a time to dance. We don't know if it's going to be a time for war or a time for peace. We don't know what the near-term future holds. So we do our best. We do our best to look at the signs of the times. And listen to me, that is part of wisdom. And in fact, Jesus told his disciples to look for the signs of the times. 
But at the end of the day, we just don't know what tomorrow will bring. And we can do our best to plan and prepare. And we should, because that is part of wisdom. We should look for mentors that are another step beyond us in life. And we should go to them and ask them, could you mentor me and teach me about the things that are next in my near-term future? Because I don't know. And I know you don't ultimately know, but you know more than I know. And we should go and seek out coaches. And many of you do. You even pay for them in your work. You pay for someone to coach you because you're like, this is the next step. And I don't know everything about that. Most of us have a financial planner because we don't know how to navigate everything in the financial world and the ups and downs and the markets and the trends and the cycles. We should do that because it's good, it's wise. Some of us also read prepper blogs. Should you think that's just for men? You're wrong. I looked at the top 10 prepper blogs this week because I was just curious as an aside. And there's one for women, too. The survival mom. The next time a crisis hits, you, will you and your family be prepared? And look, she looks really nice. She's kind of like, oh, I look really sweet. But she, what she's saying is like, yeah, go ahead. Come try to steal the MREs from my kids. You know, like, she's prepared. So all kidding aside, like, you should be prepared. Hopefully you have stuff for an earthquake. You know, you know sometimes I do stuff like this, and I never plan jokes. But I did. I did it this Sunday. I said, you know what? I'm going to plan one. And I, and, I, and I guarantee you, if David put this slide up, you would all laugh. <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm done planning jokes. I'm only funny when I don't try to be funny. That one was planned. I made a slide for it. Delivery. Delivery. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Listen, the teacher says it's not just that we don't know what's next. It's that we can't do anything about it. No matter what mentor you have or what coach you have or what financial planner you have or what blogs you read, we can't do anything about it. We're limited in our nature. He says in verse 7 through 9, no man has the power to retain the spirit, which is the wind, or the power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war. There's no wickedness to deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. He gives four quick examples and he just reminds us, like nature reminds us that we are limited in our, in our power. Like you cannot control the wind, what direction it blows or how hard it blows or what happens when it does. We've seen that this week in our country. Death reminds us that we are limited in our years, and you might have been reminded reading our scripture reading plan recently in Genesis. Man is limited to 120 years. God says, yep, after the flood, that's it. We're limited in our years, and you don't know how many years you and I have. Authorities remind us that we are limited in our freedoms. Like, when you go to war, you're not just, like, leaving. <laughs> you can't just, like, say, like, yeah, I'm out. And our will reminds us that we are limited in our ability like, even if in our will we, we, we see wicked people prospering and we decide, I, I too will live a wicked life so that I can prosper, like, at the, in the end of the day, that's, that's no guarantee and you won't. Our finite nature limits our lives. And at the end of the day, the best we can do is to use wisdom. And you know what the good news for you this morning is if you're a Christian? You have the wisdom you need because you have the mind of Christ through his spirit who dwells in you. 
And so I think we should say it together again to remind ourselves. Would you say it with me? We have the mind of Christ. We do. And I want you to believe that this morning. That's what the Bible says about you. You have the mind of Christ. You have the wisdom that you need. Okay, there's a third thing that the teacher reminds us could limit our lives. This one's a tough one, as if the first two weren't. Look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Here I think we see injustice. Injustice reminds us that there are limits on our lives. There are so many injustices that we can see and point out, and there are many injustices that I know many of you have experienced and even fought against, and we should, as God's people, fight against injustices. But at the end of the day, we cannot rid our culture and our communities of injustice completely. It's not going to happen. There's so much injustice in the world. We live in a world that is filled with injustice, and it impacts our lives, and it places limitations and constraints on our lives. And the textual example is the wicked that get to live an elaborate life, and they get an elaborate burial. They, they get to go in and out of the synagogue every day, and then their, their burial gets to start at the synagogue, and it's this big processional, and then it gets to end back there. And in your mind, I want you to think about, like, the politician that is the most corrupt that goes to their church or to mass on Sunday, and there's pictures of them going in and out of the place of worship, and then their motorcade takes them on somewhere, and they do all of these ungodly things and ungodly policies that are unhelpful to people, and then... And and then they die and they get this incredible burial. And it just seems like, what is up with that? Because there are so many people that do live, not perfect, but they do live fairly just lives and they, are, they live much better in some sense than that and, and they get nothing. And these people just get celebrated. Like that is the example from the text and that happens in our context as well. And the other example from the text is that there, there are times when there are two-tiered systems of justice or when justice just takes too long to be executed. How the rich in our culture, even today, can just like prolong things with appeals and appeals and appeals and appeals. And if you have enough money, you can get the right lawyer to just get you off from just about anything that you do. And yet the poor who can't afford that, well, their trials can tend to come pretty speedily, can't they? Or if you're part of this class, or you're part of that class, or you're part of this party, or you're part of that party, there, there are these two-tiered systems of justice all over the place. It seems so unjust, and it is. And it reminds us that like, even if we fought for justice as, as much as we could, at the end of the day, there is still going to be so much injustice in our world, and it is going to limit and constrain our lives. The reality is our lives will be limited by injustice and impacted by the injustices in the world. So what do we do with that? And the teacher knows we're asking that question, so he answers it in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. 
I think this reminds me of Psalm 1 where there's this juxtaposition between the wicked and the righteous. And in verse 5 and 6, it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand when? Under the sun? No, the wicked stand under the sun. The wicked seem to prosper a lot in life under the sun, S-U-N. I mean, they seem to prosper, but he says the wicked will not stand where? In the judgment at the end. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Like in the end, God will deal with the injustice once and for all. And even with that, the teacher knows, okay, yeah, but we're thinking, yeah, but. Yeah, but there's still these grave injustices in the world. And you know the one that seems to be the worst one? I know you're thinking about it right now. The, the, most, the worst injustice that there could be in the world is, and you're thinking something in your mind right now, and the teacher knows it, and so he just says what it is. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, verse 14. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said, this also is vanity. Like, maybe you were thinking, yeah, the greatest injustice is that good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. And the teacher's like, yeah, I know. Why do bad things happen to good people, and why do good things happen to bad people? You want the answer that you can just 100% trust every time? I'm not going to give it to you this morning. Because I'm not sure anyone could fully answer that question this side of heaven, but I think I could give you some good answers. I think it might go something like this, and this is a hard reality, and if you're not yet a Christian, bear with me till I get to the, the fourth one, okay? The first one is there are ultimately no good people. When we say why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, when we say why do bad things happen to good people, what the Bible says is there, is, there are ultimately no good people. Romans tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. The men have been studying the book of Romans in the men's study. Like, that's what the Bible says, that no one seeks after God on their own. The Bible teaches that we're all broken because of sin, and all of us is broken because of sin. It's a doctrine of total depravity. And that works itself out in us sinning against God and against people, and we are the ones that create brokenness between us and God and us and each other, and we are the ones that create the brokenness and, and all of the injustice in the world. It's on us. There are ultimately no good people. That's the first part of the answer, I believe. That's a hard one, huh? The second one is that God uses bad things that happen to good people to make them better people. I'm trying to look, play on good and bad and better, and maybe you get it, but the idea here is sanctification. Right? That God uses the bad or the hard things in our lives. That's how big God is. He can even use the evil that's done against us to form us and shape us and conform us to the image of Christ, to sanctify us. That's how big God is. That's how powerful he is. I think God uses bad things that ha happen to good people to also make them compassionate and merciful people. I think we're bent to look out for ourselves. We're bent towards self-interest. And when bad things happen to good people, God can actually use that to to teach them and to instruct them and to make them compassionate and softer and merciful people. And if you're not yet a Christian, I asked you to stick with me to the fourth one, and, and I appreciate you doing that. Because at the end of the day, what the Bible reminds us is the worst thing happened to the best person and for the best reason. 
Like literally the worst thing that could ever happen to any human being happened to the best person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ, who as Christians we believe was, was fully God and fully man. And we believed he lived a perfectly sinless life on our behalf. There was no sin or injustice in him. He created none of it. But he had the greatest injustice done against him. And he died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. And in that moment, we believed God the Father turned away from him. And he took on all the weight of our guilt and our sin and our shame and all of the, the weight of all that we have created in the world. All the injustice in the world that was created on us. He took all the sin, all the guilt, all the shame from all of that on himself so that he could absorb God's justice toward injustice in that moment. Not just for today, but for eternity. And that when we place our faith and our hope in Christ, we can be forgiven for our sin, our sin against God and the sin that we've committed against people and the way that it's impacted them and the world. And we can be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him again. And, and, and we can be part of the solution to creating the kind of culture that would be possible if well, if only people lived according to God's rule, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know all the reasons, but I think those are some of them. No matter how many explanations we can give for the presence of injustice in the world, and no matter how good those explanations can be, I hope I gave you a decent one this morning. At the end of the day, we live in a world that doesn't just have some injustice. We live in a world that is filled with injustice. And it creates countless limitations on our lives. So what does the teacher say we do about that? Look at verse 15. And I commend, I commend joy. I commend joy. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that, that delighting in Jesus is part of our distinctives in terms of the kind of disciples we want to create in the village church. We want to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who delight in Jesus. And I commend joy, for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go to him as his toil, as his toil through the days of his life that God has given to him under the sun. We should find joy in the moments and in the means that God has given us. There are some incredible moments in your life. And he says this many times over the book of Ecclesiastes, where you get to eat, and you get to drink, and you get to celebrate, and you get to, to enjoy the things that God's given you. There are incredible moments in your lives. Enjoy those moments. And there are means that God has given you to that end. He has blessed you in many ways, financially and otherwise. And enjoy that and use it for God's glory and the good of other people and enjoy it. Injustice limits our lives, and at the end of the day, the best we can do is use wisdom. And the good news for all of us is we have it. We have it because God's spirit indwells us, so we have the wisdom of Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. And I know this is a heavy topic about injustice. I, I know that, but I, I want you to confess with me again this morning that we have the mind of Christ. I want you to believe what the Bible says is true about you and about us. So can we see this together? We have the mind of Christ. We do. We have the mind of Christ. Even in the midst of the problem of evil and injustice, we can think clearly about these things because we have the mind of Christ. Lastly, this morning, um, the teacher's given a lot of wisdom here in chapters 1 through 7, here in chapter 8, and he reminds us, though, um, of one other one. And, and we've been talking a lot about wisdom, but he reminds us actually wisdom itself is limited in some way. 
Look at verse 16 and 17 as we end. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither night nor day do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Did you hear that three times? You cannot find it out. He cannot find it out. He cannot find it out. I think at the end of the day, here's what we learned lastly, is that actually wisdom reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Wisdom itself reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Three times he says you cannot find it out, which tells us something really, really important. That even the wisest person, listen to me, even the wisest person on earth, even the wisest person that lives under the sun, S-U-N, even the wisest person on the earth under the sun, S-U-N, right now, even that person does not know everything about the mind of God. And you know what? That is a really good thing. Because if even that person knew everything about the mind of God, then who would God be? Now, I know you're a room of very smart people. We live in a very educated place. You guys are sharp, and so you're asking, well, how is this possible? You've been having us say we have the mind of Christ three times already, and now you're telling us that wisdom reminds us that there are limits, but we have the mind of Christ, so we can have the wisdom of Christ. Like, how does that measure up? I think the simple answer is we can have what we need, but we still need to use it. We can have all the wisdom we need, but we still need to use it, and we need to grow in our ability to use it. We need to grow in our wisdom, and we need to grow in our ability to use the wisdom that we have access to. You know, during our Advent series, we were in Luke chapter 2, and in one of the sermons, we were reminded from Luke 2.52 that Jesus increased, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. That in his perfect humanity, Jesus grew in this wisdom and he used it perfectly every time. In one of our daughter's rooms growing up, we put this verse on the wall because we wanted to remind her and both of them that they could continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of God and the wisdom of God, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in the knowledge of who he is and the grace uh, that, that he gives and, and the grace to know how to apply that knowledge in wisdom. To him be glory both now and through the day of eternity. So ultimately, at the end of the day, even wisdom limits our lives. And the best thing we can do is use the wisdom that we have. The best thing we could do is to continue to grow in the wisdom that we need. And the reality is we have access to all of it because we can have the mind of Christ through his spirit who dwells in us. So I'm going to ask you to repeat one last time with me that we do have the mind of Christ. Would you say that with me? We have the mind of Christ. We do. And that's connected to our good news this morning, which is this, that we can live a life beyond earthly limits when we live our lives in Christ, who is, he is the wisdom of God. I know this um, impacts all of us, and this is impacting a particular family in our church um, right now, maybe uh, in a unique way. And I'm going to invite Dan um, to come just for a moment to share an encouragement and an exhortation with you. I know all of you probably have um, an idea of the ways these things work themselves out in your life. Um, maybe you know Dan and Becca's story a little bit. If you're new to us, um, Dan and Becca have been partners at the Village for a long time. 
they've adopted two little girls who are incredible, and they're going to adopt a third. And she lives in Albania. And Dan and Becca have been in Albania for months now, working through the system um, in a government that's uh, maybe a little less than perfect. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, um, and trying to navigate that whole process. Um, and we met with, uh, together with, the, with them, with a few of our pastors this week, just to really ask, like, should we go back again? Like, this was so difficult. Should we go back and continue to do this? And, um, and Dan was talking with the elders about the way that this experience has really um, revealed limitations. A lot of them probably, right? So um, I asked Dan to give a little encouragement, exhortation surrounding that this morning. And then uh, we're going to pray for Dan and Becca, and then we're going to sing. Okay? Yeah, so we, most of you know we were gone for 107 days. Um, went through quite a lot. Personally, I never felt like I'd ever hit any of these limitations, per se, in a, in a very real way. Uh, we hit all of them while we were over there. Uh, as a family, personally, um, pretty much led me to hit the panic button towards the end. Call the elders. I think it was like, a, for me, a 1 a.m. Skype call. Need help, need wisdom. Um, not even sure what I want to say. It was... God definitely put us through it. He, he showed me all of my limitations, really drove us to him, drove us to the need for his people, his church. Um, you know, we were, I was meditating on just kind of the, the song that they sing a lot over there, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. Mm -hmm. And in their language, and when you translate it back to our language then, it's strong he holds me, for my Savior loves me, strong he holds me, and just felt that from God's people as we came back and from his church, um, from the pastors, and in seeking wisdom from them in not only do we go back, but how should we go back? How do we prepare to go back and face the challenges that are in front of us? How do we prepare for some of the things that are out of our control? But then also, how do we recognize and learn to live within the limits that what's going to transpire is going to put on our lives, mm -hmm. likely for the rest of our lives? So. That was something that we experienced, we lived, and now we're thankful that we have lots of people around us that have wisdom and are able to speak into our lives and help us learn how we're going to live within these limitations. Um, it's just been a good experience in learning to rely on God in the midst of those limitations and on his wisdom and on the Bible. And if you've been around the Village Church a while, um, you probably know that, like, if there would be a, a, a person or a couple in our, in our church that has, like, really, really high capacity <laughs> and, like, who, like, presses beyond a lot of limits, it would probably be Dan and Becca. Um, like, sometimes I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Like, you, you have, you, your capacity is enormous, you know, and you and Becca together, your capacities are enormous. But I think that the, the lesson this, this, eve, this morning maybe for all of us is like even the people that might be in our midst that might have the greatest capacity still have limits. And those are ordained by God and they're good. And so you're going back to a place that, well, there are a lot of limits politically and there's a ton of injustice in Albania. I've been there. I've seen it. I know, you know. And yeah, and it's, it's real, right? And so they're, they're, everything that we've talked about this morning is true about you guys going back, but, but you're going back. And God willing, you'll bring Bella back, and um, you'll have a whole congregation full of people that will help you guys live within the limits. And that's going to mean that some things that you were doing, you're going to have to say no to, right? So that you can do the things that God's invited you into. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's yeah, a good thing. Um, Village Church, uh, Dan and Becca are leaving to go back soon. Saturday. Saturday. And so, um, yeah, it's really soon, huh? And hopefully not for another 107 days, right? Hopefully. But he will, strong he will hold you, right? Strong, yes. he, strong he will hold you. And so, um, church, could I ask you just to stand with me? And we're going to transition to singing some songs to Jesus and giving him the worship and the honor he deserves for these things. But I also want to ask you to, to pray for Dan and Becca. And um, would you just extend a hand on out? And the Bible says that men ought everywhere to lift holy hands to the Lord without wrath or doubting. And we just want to extend a hand on out to say, like, we believe and we want to commission them into these things and pray for them this morning. So, Lord, we do. We just come to you, all of us together, and say, um, Lord, we are limited, finite people, and we know that. And forgive us for kicking against it so much. Help us to receive the God-ordained limitations that you have ordained for our lives. Help us to believe that, um, that our lives are significant and meaningful and that we can contribute to kingdom work in the midst of our limitations and the limited nature of our finite lives. Pray in particular for Dan and for Becca and for their family as they go to Albania that you would um, lead them and guide them as you have, that you would prepare the way at the adoption agencies and with the government and with the orphanage and with Bella and all of it, Lord. And we pray that um, by your grace that they would um, come back with Bella soon and that our church could embrace them and her and love her well and... Um, oh, all of the limitations that she will have on her, would have had on her life there, many of those limitations will, will be broken because of people like Dan and Becca. And we thank you for that, that she will live a life uh, with much more freedom and ability, have much more opportunity to flourish. And we just thank you for their heart in, in going and in pursuing your call on their life for their family. We ask that you would strengthen them and embolden them in every way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.